Bem-vindos ao Type Theory for All podcast. This is episode number five, and I'm your host, Pedro Abreu. In this episode, we hold a very interesting conversation with Yves Berthaud to talk about the history behind his contribution with Pierre Casterin on writing Coq Art, what's Yves' role in the Coq team and how the team work and what are the sort of contribution they accept. Spoiler alert, they accept all sorts of contributions, especially donations if you're tied to a company, corporation or institutions. This and much more coming up next in this episode. Let's get into it. Welcome everyone to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. Today, Yves Berto. Welcome, Yves. Hello. How are you doing today? I, I've been uh, working uh, in, in lockdown for the few, last few days. Well, last few weeks, last few months. So it's it's a bit uh, a special thing to have this kind of remote interview. But of course, we are more and more accustomed to using uh, all these remote uh, conversation tools. So I think it's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for coming. So I was, you were actually in Paris, in Paris, right? No, I'm I'm in the south of France. Oh, okay. The place where I work is next to the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, sounds very nice. Mm. Well, okay, so let's start talking a little bit about, about you, about your career, about your academic history. I saw here in, the, in your website that you started your research working with Gilles Kahn. Sorry if I butchered his name. French yeah, the, the is very French, hard. <laughs> the French pronunciation is Gilles Kahn. Gilles Kahn. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, your path towards becoming who you are nowadays and working in area. So uh, when I was a kid, yeah, there was uh, it was the beginning of uh, selling uh, computers to people like the Apple, Apple, and so it was basically a computer that used uh, a Motorola small uh, microprocessor that was uh, I think the 6502, if my memory serves me right. And it happened that with my two brothers that had about the same age as I am, uh, well, I have a twin brother and, all, and an older brother, with uh, the, the three of us together, we, we, we pulled our money and we bought a small computer that was uh, programmable using the basic, basic language. So I studied mathematics and then I entered an engineering school. In that engineering school, I picked up the, the computer science courses. And I, I got into the dream of uh, putting a real programming language, well, the one that I, I had found, uh, found in this course, which was Lisp. I wanted to put some sort of Lisp on the, on the computer. So that meant that uh, I, I, somehow I needed to write the whole Lisp uh, interpreter in uh, 6502 assembly code and all that. So uh, I wanted, uh, the, the, my first thing was, you know, I was actually in the engineering school who we were actually working with another big computer that was called a VAX from digital, digital equipment. So the first thing I did was to emulate the 6502 on the VAX and to develop a developing uh, development environment on the VAX machine so that I would not have to be working on the on the very small computer that I had uh, at home with my parents and and this project never panned out but I got very interested in semantics of programming languages implementations of programming languages implementations of programming environments 
And that was basically the topic of research of Gilles Kahn. So we met, we arranged that I would do a PhD with him, and that's it. At the time, I was in the Paris region, but Gilles Kahn was working in the south of France, so I, I, we arranged that I would, I would join his team. So in his team, they were developing a system where they were basically using logic programming to describe the basics of the programming language that you wanted to, to define. So logic programming is a fancy name for Prolog. And so what we did actually was we showed how to develop an interpreter for another, an arbitrary programming language using Prolog. But to make it uh, more, more appealing theory-wise, we actually did not say we were writing Prolog programs. We were writing semantic specifications, which is a big, a big word for a Prolog program. <laughs> but you know, if you, if, you, if you use only the pure part of Prolog, then the objects that you're manipulating, they have a very clean logical interpretation. You know, there are implications with literals and things like that. And all the way it works is based on unification, which is also quite nice, quite easy to, to describe mathematically. So you have a very understandable setup in which you are describing a programming language. So the, the theoretical name for this was natural semantics. And the, the practical name for it was Prolog programs. Why why don't we use more Prolog nowadays? What what happened here? Because you make it sound that it was a really good tool for you to develop the semantics of the languages you were developing and studying, right? But that's not completely lost. It's still there. If you use Coq or any other higher order logic theorem prover and you do an inductive definition, you're still basically defining a Prolog program. The main difference is that the Prolog program has a hardwired strategy on how to use the inductive definition constructors, which are the the clauses of the Prolog program. But when you are using these inductive definition constructors in a theorem prover, you have the freedom of choosing the strategy that you're going to use. Well, in fact, a lot of time, you don't necessarily use uh, an automatic search tool. You just do it by hand. You say, oh, now I'm going to use this rule. But if you want to do it automatically, then you just write a little tactic that is going to take all the constructors uh, in order and try them one after the other using unification. And that's it. You have the same thing. You basically can emulate your prolog interpreter inside a, a theorem prover. So uh, I, I don't. I don't think I lost anything by moving from prolog to cock. In fact, I'm gaining because I can reason on these programs, and while before I could only execute them. So the kind of reasoning that 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 we can do is, for example, to say that some specific programming language is is deterministic. Whatever execution you do, uh, the, the output is always going to be the same or something like that for a given set of inputs. So you can do this kind of proofs. And uh, you can also show, uh, you can also, for the same language, describe a type, uh, a typing methodology and an execution methodology and show that uh, uh, you know, there's something that is often called uh, subject reduction property in, in programming language courses. So, 
I didn't lose anything by switching from prologue to 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 theorem proving. What I what I gained is that now I can reason on the semantic specifications that I wrote. So that was basically the research I did during the 90s. So I started my the my PhD thesis in 88. And between 88 and 91, I was only writing specifications and executing them in Prologue. Starting in 91, I wanted... There, there are two aspects of this uh, programming environment that were uh, at work here. One is, you, we were possible to execute semantic specification. And the second aspect was, we also dev devised a whole user interface for manipulating arbitrary programs in arbitrary languages. So we had a, a generic programming environment that was adaptable to various programming languages. A bit the same way that uh, VS Code is now adaptable to uh, a wide variety of programming languages. But one of the key aspects of, of this programming environment was that whenever you manipulated a program, it had to be manipulated as a tree. So you were not inserting characters in a buffer. You were manipulating trees. You were you had trees with holes and you were filling these holes with uh, trees that were syntactically relevant in these places. So that was the, the way the user interface was designed. And because you were manipulating trees, you could do very fast, beautiful... Uh, uh, well, all programs that you were manipulated were automatically beautified because as a user, you didn't have any any control on the indentation. The indentation had been designed beforehand by the, the language implementer in the programming environment. So people might not like it, but, but basically that, that was the idea. And so around 91, there was somebody in my team whom I've always admired, and we're still in my team, is Laurent Terry. And Laurent Terry started to apply all this user interface tools to proof tools. So the proof tool he started with was the Hall system, you know, the one that was developed by Mike Gordon. And so he did all these experiments and I really thought what he was doing was really cool. So I thought, why don't we generalize this idea and the same way as we are doing a generic programming environment, we should do a generic proof tool. And so I, I ported the ideas of Laurent Thierry to Isabelle, you know, the, the, the proof system that was uh, devised by Larry Paulson. Where... Oh, so Isabelle was already a thing in 91? Oh yeah, they had a version in 1992, I think. You know, I finished my PhD in 1991, but at that time I, I, had, uh, I had not done any proof. I was only <laughs> writing <laughs> semantic, semantic specifications which is a, a beautiful name for prologue programs. <laughs> and um, so at the same time I was working on this user interface idea, I was also working on, yeah, yeah, okay, if we are using proof tools and we have these semantic specifications, we have to translate these semantic specifications into theorem prover input. So I could have decided to work with Isabel, but for reasons that are a bit... Uh, a bit uh, because it's easier to talk with people that are not too far and uh, in contact. I eventually moved to Cook. So I, I started to be uh, working on two directions at the same time. One which was 
do this uh, description of programming languages in Coq. And the other one was use the programming environment, beautifying tools and all that to make a, 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 a nice user interface for the theorem provers. So with uh, Laurent Terry and Gilles Kahn, we wrote a paper in 1993 where we said real theorem provers deserve real user interfaces. This is a mouthful, but that was the exact uh, title of the, of the article. So if you want, you can go the paper. You can you can go and find it. It's somewhere. You know, I'm sure Google knows how to find that. Okay, so that's 1993. After that, but you have to understand that when we wrote the specification of the programming language in this approach, it was always written as a, a big set, a big collection of inductive properties. It was not written as uh, it, it was not using any of the uh, functional programming capabilities of the Coq system. We are only using the inductive property capabilities, which were which are stronger than the functional programming capabilities because the functional programming language in Coq is not Turing complete. All every program is every program in the functional fragment of Coq is bound to terminate. But if you're using inductive properties, you can describe uh, computational processes that are not bound to terminate. So this is what we were, we were relying on. So we had an automatic tool to translate our semantic specifications into Coq inductive properties. And uh, it had a very, our semantic specification relied on a kind of typing system that was different from, from the, uh, the ML or Coq approach because it had type inclusion. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I, when we did the, the translation to Coq, that, that provoked that the, our presentations of language were a bit clumsy because they had we had to add all the encoding to represent the type inclusion in a typing language that didn't have type inclusion. You know, the, the, the typing system of, of, of ML or, or of Coq don't have this. So we had to to add uh, coercions, explicit coercions in many places to represent this, these type inclusions. Okay, so at that time in 1995, uh, I already understood how to, to, to prove, well, I thought I understood how to prove correct a compiler using this approach. So I had a PhD student who was, whose name is Ranan Fraer. And uh, Ranan and I, we did a paper on proving an optimization. You know, it was a, a small example of what something that would be in a, in a compiler. So proving an optimization that was constant propagation uh, in, in a very small language with only while loops. And so we published that in 1995. And so that in a way in 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 the 90s I was I was already thinking uh, of of a dream that would be later realized by by Xavier Leroy with a much better uh, a much much more spectacular outcome you know the the concert compiler but that, I really believed it would be possible so I tried some small first experiments about this so let's go back. So this is my experiments on semantics of programming languages. So I was using proofs about semantics programming languages, something that would later be 
a big subject in the Popol community uh, before Popol was interested in formal proofs. So when when Popol got interested in formal proofs, I was I, I was already not publishing anymore on this topic. So that that's so. hard for me to even imagine because since I'm very new here, Popol for me is all about you know being formal and being formal by you know proofs in the end of the day. Yeah, but in the 90s it was not. That's very interesting. In the 90s, the language of cock itself was the subject of popper. I don't know, in fact, because I'm not, uh, as I told you, I never published there. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think my experiment, my experimental approach was to say, oh, it will be possible to do the proof of a compiler one day. And this is what I published in 1995. And then maybe we'll come back to it later. So... But this is one part of one leg of my research. The other leg of my research in the 90s was to push this idea that a generic programming environment where we are using tree structures as the main data is very useful to develop user interfaces for theorem provers. So I developed something that, that was called CTCOC. And the reason it was called CTCOC is because the tool, the generic programming environment that we were developing with Gilcan was called Centaur. And CityCock was uh, short for Centaur applied to Coq. And so this was a system that was developed partly in Lisp, partly in Prolog, but we didn't use the Prolog part. And then it had uh, socket communication with the Coq process. So this is what we do now with, uh, with Proof General and, and our, our VS Code. You know, we have a, we had a protocol to, to exchange trees. And then when we received the trees on the, on the user interface side, if because they were uh, mathematical formulas, we also had a, a very nice two-dimensional display of for these uh, mathematical formulas. So if you want, I could I could dig up some paper where, where you see a, a very nice square root uh, written in a 2D fashion, uh, the same way as you would do with LaTeX or something like that. But that was produced on the fly as you received the data from, uh, from the Coq system. To maintain this tool, I had to know exactly what were all the commands available in the Coq system. So I spent a lot of time learning about everything you can do in Coq. And when when I reached about 1998, I started to think because of that, I know everything about the Coq system. I was never a developer, but uh, I had uh, some sort of a, of a complete view of what, what were all the capabilities provided by the language. I had studied it all, in a way. Well, there are probably things that I were not, uh, that were, but I didn't know anything about the theory. I only had a very practical experience of the Coq system. But I started uh, to feel uh, confident enough that I would propose people to do tutorials and things like that. So I did a tutorial for the Coq system at TP Hall in 2000. I think it was 2000. And it was, it was in Portland, Oregon. And at the same time I was doing this Coq tutorial, Jay Moore was doing a tutorial for the ACL2 system, which I did not attend, obviously. But Jay Moore was there with a book about the, AC, the ACL2 system, you know. And I and uh, Christine Paulin was there too, I believe, or maybe she was not. But we had the conversation just later. You know, I said yes, obviously, Coq is a marvelous system, but what it's lacking 
there's no book about it. So I went to see Christine and I told her, you know, you have to write a book about the Koch system. She said, mm, maybe that's a good idea, but that won't happen. None of us is going to do it. We don't have time. If, if you want that there is a book on this, then you have to write it your, on, on your own. And I, I, really, I really thought that would, you know, I, I really felt bad about it because I thought, you know, the people who have developed Koch, the Koch system, they have a hard time publishing. You know, they are just, they spend their time developing a big tool. And then when, when, you, when it comes to, to, to getting recognition, you know, you're anonymous in a crowd. You know, you're part of the crowd of the developers of this big system. So there are, you know, there are some stars that, that, uh, that, that managed to, to get their name remembered because maybe they gave the first foundations or something like that. And then there are all these developers and, and they can't get benefit for, for all their work. So I really felt bad about it. I said, no, that's not fair. If I write a book about Koch, then I'm going to get credit necessarily. You know, it's, it's, it's bound to happen. But I'm going to get credit for the good work that somebody else did. Well, you know, I can talk like that, but uh, in the end, my selfish me uh, <laughs> said, oh, yeah, I'm going to write this book. <laughs> but then Christine told me, uh, yeah, but you have to be warned, somebody else is already doing that. So maybe it would be a good idea if you, if you joined efforts. So I, I contacted Pierre Casteran, who had already started and announced earlier that he had started. But I had the impression he had a bit uh, slowed down. So I, uh, you know, I said, I, I went to him. I told him, why don't we do it together? We, we, we came up with a plan. We, we, we separated chapters between the two of us. We wrote a, a book with 16 chapters and eight of them have been written by him and eight of them have been written by me. And this is how, you know, uh, somehow my name has been attached to this Koch system for which, uh, you know, the merit is not mine, but the book is there. And people remember that I wrote this book. That's, so. that's really, really nice. Well, in a sense, I understand what you're, what you're getting at, that the real beauty here is, is behind you, right? Like it's from these people who put so much effort into the theory, into the implementation of this beautiful system that we have. But in the, in the other hand, you also had to put an effort and sit down and, and write the book. So I think I think it's fair for you to take some credit. <laughs> I've had a few conversations with a few other people who've tried to write books, and they, you know, like uh, Jean-Christophe Filiatre, who was also one of the co-authors of the of the of the Koch system. He, he was very interested in formal verification of OCaml programs. He developed a system that was specific to it, which is called Y, Y3 now. And he once told me, you know, I have a lot of respect for those people who can devote time to writing books. It's true, it's not the same. Not everybody uh, works in the same way. And, and a, lot of, a lot of us prefer the safety of writing regular papers because they are shorter shorter projects if you if you embark on a big project and somehow your steam go, runs out then you've lost two years of your work so you have to keep the steam for for in in, in our case uh, we kept the steam for four years it, it took four years to write the, the book so we started in 2000 and it was published in 2004 well we are very glad that you 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 had this team to finish it because it's a beautiful book thank you so much there's another thing about it is, you know, exactly in the, the same way as I said, 
you know, we don't, we all researchers don't work the same way. Somehow, you know, people, my 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 friends tend to say that I, I I like to feel guilty. So, <laughs> not we are. But uh, somehow, you know, I'm I'm admirative of people who turn out very good ideas and that are really new and things like that. I don't know if I can turn as many new ideas as other people, but I have the impression that I can reprocess ideas that have been produced before me and make them accessible to a wider community. And this is what I was trying to do in this in this Cockart book. Even though there are places, you know, I really went very far into the theory. You know, when I tried to explain all the basics of inductive types in the book and uh, how it was related, how the inductive types are related to the recursive programming, how the induction principle is just the, the canonical example of recursive programming. The induction principle on the data type is the natural type of the base, the, the most general recursive function you can write on this data type. And those are things that are very hard to find out there if you're just looking at papers like yeah you, nobody you know, take the you, time to sit down and explain exactly look this is actually very simple what you're doing is, is this you know like to just yeah. synthesize this knowledge in a very digestible way so i tried for example to intrude, to include uh, an explanation of why you need to have this positivity rule in the definition of an inductive type by giving the example of an inductive type that would encode the pure lambda calculus if you didn't have the positivity rule. And because it's pure lambda calculus and pure lambda calculus can contain uh, the omega term, then you would have a recurs you would be able to write a recursive function that loops forever. And so this is the, the kind of thing you want to avoid. You know, I didn't invent this. I think everybody who was a type theorist knew about it, but trying to find the right words to, to explain it uh, was was satisfactory. To be honest, I think I have some experience teaching some cock and, and everything. So I think that's kind of one of the sources that is the most puzzling for someone who's just starting in, you know, type theory and using cock is why why does it have to be positive? Because like it's not it's not straightforward to see how this will lead to contradictions later on down the hole, right? <laughs> I had a, a recent discussion with Larry Paulson about this because the basic explanation of what an inductive type, an inductive predicate is, it's very related to the basic explanation of what an inductive type is, can be encoded in higher order logic, actually. So there are things, uh, some of the, of the constraints of being inductive types and there are things that I just discovered very recently. So I w I'm, I'm currently working on an explanation about this with uh, Larry Paulson uh, that is going to be uh, published, uh, I hope, this year or next year, uh, depending on what the other co-authors are going to do. For, because this is going to be a chapter in a book. Wow. I am looking forward to looking into that because I've been working with inductive data types, like translating inductive data types lately. And it's very hard to find good resources. But it happens that uh, an inductive data type is, is, is something you can describe very simply using higher, just higher order logic. So, and I just discovered that recently, just because, you know, as I said, I'm not a theoretician. I'm, I'm a practical guy. And so for me, an inductive type was introduced to me as a product program, 
you know, a semantic specification. And, and then, you know, people came with more theoretical uh, names for the same things. And I said, oh, yeah, I recognize these things. I already use them. But sometimes I have a hard time connecting the vocabulary with the things <laughs> I already know. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a big problem in, in our community. People people rediscover the same thing over and over again and give different names and huh. then we have this all this trouble right so, I think we've spoken too much about me here. I well, there is one last thing then to wrap it up and move forward. We can mm -hmm. do is is how did you end up working with, with in the cock team then? So let me guess. People at the cock team was impressed with your work with your book, and then they were like, "Yeah, you have to come and work with us, and it would be really nice." And that's how you ended up there. <laughs> well, in a way, the cock team is—it's not very, you know. There is no strong barrier, you know. It's—it's it's not said you're in the cock team or you're not in the cock team. It was more like uh, it's not excluded middle. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, and, oh, you have a nice idea to suggest. Like, I don't know if you uh, you know about the tool that was developed. I think it was in oh, it was in the middle of the nineties by Pierre Crigut. So he, the tool is named Omega. So it's now being replaced by by LIA which means linear integer arithmetic. And omega was uh, an implementation of the first phases of uh, an algorithm that was known as the omega test by a researcher whose name is William Pugh, I believe. P-U-G-H. So maybe my, my, uh, my, my scientific culture is, is lacking here, but I'm trying to give all the names. So... Pierre was not part of the COG development team. He looked at the way the COG system was developed and he said, oh, it would be nice if we could add, you know, we could already do a lot of arithmetic in the COG system, but it would, it would be nice if we could add uh, a decision procedure for linear arithmetic. So he just embarked on it. He did it on his side and uh, came back a few months or maybe a few years later and showed that to the COG people. And they said, yeah, very good. We're going to integrate this in our code. So in a sense, Pierre Crigut has become a member of the Coq development team in this way. So this is how it worked. You know, people just, you know. Of course, there is the, 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 there was a, social, a, social, a sociological boundary around the people who were living and working, ha having regular meetings together and uh, working in nearby offices and things like that. If you were not part of this circle, you felt a bit outside uh, of an outsider. But in the case of Pierre, for example, he, he didn't need, he needed to have good advice in the beginning and then he did his own project. And when it when in the project was completed and it looked so good, people just said, yes, we're going to integrate that inside. And when, when they had to maintain it and uh, they tried to understand and if they didn't just understand enough, they were they called Pierre for help to, to understand what how to evolve the, the software with the COC system. So this is how... The, the, the COG team was uh, welcoming. Uh, and in my case, you know, uh, because I was trying to provide a user interface for the COG system, they looked at it, they said, oh yes, there are good ideas, so we're going to try to, to give you some help on doing it. But also, uh, the system was available, uh, you had the sources, so, you know, I just had to take my own 
courage and go and look in the sources and say, where, where can I hook my own software? So in my case, because I was doing user interfaces, I wanted to understand how does the Cox system receive a string, a line of input? How does it parse it? How does it make it into a, a command? And, and where does this command go? And things like that. So I tried to understand what were there. At the time, the system had a, a syntax that was defined as a, as a big YAC specification. So, you know, I just had to look at the YAC specification and understand what was the input language. And when it stopped being a YAC specification, it was still a specification in some specific language to describe syntax, even if it was a homemade uh, language for the Cox system, you know, the Camel P4 specifications and things like that. So, you know, if you want to be part of a big development like that, when you can see the sources, you just take your courage in your hands and you go and look in the sources and you try to understand how can you add uh, your preferred functionality and once you've done that you go and see the authors and and see if they are going to buy it so I, in fact i did that with larry Paulson and isabel but it didn't pan out you know larry was not impressed enough and, <laughs> and for me, it was an experiment that the experiment with uh, Isabel was an experiment that helped me in my training. But uh, because it didn't pan out, I tried to find another one where uh, people would be more receptive to to what I, uh, I wanted to propose. It's not so easy for the team to be so welcoming anyway, because as soon as you are integrating pieces of code that have been developed by somebody else, then you have to worry about the future of this piece of code. What happens if there's a bug? What happens if 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 it if it becomes ossified and you can't uh, uh, it cannot follow the the evolution of your software? Uh, this is always a problem anyway. So you, we see these questions occur again and again. That's how you end up staying because then you have to provide maintenance for your software. <laughs> well, actually. Actually, I'd never produced any functionality in the Cox system that was really adopted. Really? So for some some time, the piece of code that I was adding in the Cox sources was maintained only by me and not really used by the Cox people. So they accepted it because I was doing the maintenance. But after a while, uh, they they developed uh, the Cock ID two. That was uh, in, in competition what I was developing, and uh, that just pushed my work on the side. So in the in this sense, I was not really integrated. How do, how would you describe your work? Your your my role, uh, yes. you know, is it's it's a bit different because. You have a lot of people who have produced significant chunks of the COG system that have been reused a lot. And in my case, I don't have this impression. What I have is, for a while, I produced, uh, you know, for example, I think there is a command that is still uh, in the COG system, which is called search pattern. Well, I was the, the initial author of this one. But the search command itself has evolved in a way that is independ- independent from my code. So the, the idea of search pattern is now superseded by the search command. So I think we still use it because there are things you can do with search pattern that you can't do with the search command. It's not even true anymore. So 
you know, search pattern is is bound to finish in the trash like the rest. So, uh, so, so for me, you know, uh, I still keep this ability to go and look in, into the code and uh, and sometimes say, oh, here there may be some bug, so maybe I can propose a correction to such a bug. You know, I've never been afraid of looking into the code, but more the more it goes, the, the less it's possible for me because, you know, there's another problem with my my generation is that. I have to do things at other levels of research that makes that I don't have time. I don't have as much time to go into uh, just developing uh, extensions to the Cox system. So the other the other contribution that I made to the Cox system is the function command, which is a function to dev to write generally recursive functions in an easier way than uh, using uh, well-founded induction. And this this function command is the same. They don't like it. Yeah, they're developing equations now, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the the pressure is on using equations. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I you know, I tried to understand. Uh, the last contributions to the discussion was to trying to understand how to to get rid of all the needs for function just to use equation. And there are places where I think function is more easier to use, but uh, now I'm, I start to have my own tutorial to explain how to avoid using function and how to encode in equations, the things that would be nicer to write in function. So actually I was I was under the impression that you would be more involved with the team given, so when you were in DeepSpec, you gave a very nice presentation of how the team was coming up together in, inside Coq. Let's go back then, you know. In 2004, we, 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 uh, Pierre Casteran and myself, we published this book, which is the, what we call the Coq Art, which was a nice name that was chosen by Pierre. Christine was uh, the main architect of the Coq system at, this, at that time, Christine Paulin-Moring. And she, she came back to me a few years later telling me, you know this book that you wrote? It's a, it's a game changer. There is before and after. The way people view the Coq system is completely changed by the fact that the book exists and it is so good. This is the way they said you're part of the team. What you did here is not the same as developing the Coq system. But what you did here was is important. It's also important. It's not the same job, but it's important. So well we I spent so at that time I I thought, yes, this is what I can contribute to a big system like Coq. Um, I'm a good explainer. That's how I you know how I believed in myself. I start to be confident in myself was to say, yes, I'm Maybe I'm not the inventor, but I'm a good explainer. That, that's what one thing I can provide. And anyway, you know, I, 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 in, in retrospect, the way I was, the other thing I was thinking about myself, he said, it was an important strategic move to write this book. This is what I'm good at, strategy. So you may believe it or not, but this is how I thought about myself. So. Uh, let's go a few years, you know. Uh, I think maybe uh, Benjamin uh, Pierce uh, would be w would 
want to, to disagree, but I have the impression that because there was a book, then the, these uh, well-known universities in the U.S. started to teach Koch because of the existence of the book. Of course, after that, they decided they wanted to have their own material and they, they went into developing the Logical Foundations book. But uh, but it, it, it made everybody comfortable to know oh we can go and teach this there is good material we can use that as uh, as as foundation for for our courses so and this happened in many places so this is why i think that i believe that's the reason why christine said it's a game changer and i also met people who said you know usually when you need to learn cock you would need to have an expert around so there were a lot of uh, of experts uh, of cock users in Paris because the developers were there, so and they could give a lot of advice. But the one once you had the book, I've met people who said, you know, I was in my in my place in Stockholm or in some other, and you know, I just used the book and it was easy. Uh, we we really appreciated that. So that was that was how somehow the the cock team said, yes, we have developers. We need to have explainers or two, and here we have Pierre and, and, and Eve. So this is how you know I was integrated in the team, not as a developer. I can, you know, of course I did a, a small, a little research about how to use the Cog system. You know, I, I always wanted to have a practical approach to it. So I thought writing generally general recursive function was too hard. So this is why uh, we ended up with my PhD student Anaba, uh, Antonia Bala. We ended up developing this function uh, tool that was then uh, uh, maintained by Julien Forest and. Uh, so in a sense, you are the advert advertiser of Cog, the one who can come in and explain in a very nice way. Yeah, the pretty face. So this is this is maybe that's the the, the the position you can take for the period between two thousand and four and two thousand and eight ten. Uh, so at that time, it started to be that some people around i think i don't know who actually you know the acm process for this deciding who is going to receive an award works by some somebody has to propose that uh, some software is going to receive an award so in in 2013 there was a, a meeting of a committee in in the acm organization and they, you know they gave a uh, a software uh, award every year that is uh, funded by IBM, I believe, and uh, and so that year they decided that this award should be given to the Cox system. So they they reached uh, people in the Cox community and tell them we want to give the the award to the Cox developers. So you have to choose who are the people who are going to receive this award. So they decided a team in which there was uh, Gérard Huet, who was the supervisor of the Coq development for the first 10 years. Thierry Coquin, who was the guy who, who basically wrote down the rules of the calculus of construction, which is the basic uh, theoretical tenant of the, the Coq system, the how to use dependent types to... So it's, you have to understand that this the Cox system in the year 84 is really different from the Cox system that we know today. 
but it's still there you know it's it's still the the the, the, the foundation okay and and i think the cox system is really strong as soon as you add the inductive types in it and the inductive types was the the, the production of uh, christine Poulin. so you have the three founders there is she retired now I've been reading some of her papers and it's it's beautiful. He's she's done a lot due to the Cox system. Well, Christine Paulin uh, is a she's a person with a very strong collective impact. You know, when she knows that something has to be done for the collective for for the collective good and she's going to do that. And she has accepted big responsibilities in in universities in the Paris region. I don't know. At some point, I think she was the dean wow. for some university. Right. And, uh, so I think she hasn't had time. Yeah, to that, takes, that will take all your time. For a few for years. Sure. So, so there, was, there, were, there was these three people and then there were a few of the developers. So uh, Chet Murphy, who, who had been uh, the main force uh, uh, around the, the change that happened in the middle of the 90s. Uh, Christophe Filiat, who, who came after him. Bruno Barras, who was the big specialist of termination problems and avoiding paradoxes around termination problems. So this, uh, the, um, I'm now at six people. There's a seventh one, Hugo Herbelin, who was the, the main architect after Christine Paulin. And then these, after, with these seven people, they said, yeah, but Cox would not be such a success if there were, hadn't been the book. So we, we, we want to have Pierre and Eve also in this list. Wow. So this is how I end up being there. You know, when they decided who's, who has had a, a, a big impact in, in the development, in, in, in a big impact on Cox, they said, all these seven developers have had a big dev a, a, a big impact in the development of Coq. <laughs> and these two uh, these two book book authors this is what happened so so i went to this uh, to to this award reception uh, ceremony and at that time i thought we need another strategic move the next strategic move is to, to, you know, because right now what I see, and I already said that before, you know, the developers of the Cox system, they are going to be crushed by the success. Their job, uh, users of the Cox system think that the developer, the, the job of the Cox developers is to give them a good tool that works for sustaining their research. But, but developing this good tool and making sure it doesn't break is such a big task that uh, the, these people, uh, I was thinking these people, they won't be able to do it uh, and publish and get recognition for their research at the same time. That's not exactly true because, you know, everybody knows that uh, Mathieu Sozo, Pierre-Marie Pedro, and, uh, and uh, Emilio, and, you know, I'm giving all these names and I'm forgetting a few of them. This is what, what I didn't want to do. But, uh, you know, for example, at the time when we chose, uh, well, I didn't do, I, w I was not part of the discussion of uh, who are the developers that are going to be, to, to receive the award. They, they stopped at some, at some dates. So they stopped basically at Jean-Christophe Filiatre. 
but there were f a few people that uh, already had done a lot of investment in the Koch system after that, and which were not named. And for it may feel unfair, okay, but uh, so I have names in in mind that that I think you know these people should get more recognition for their investment on the system. Absolutely. So so my my next uh, step uh, that starting in uh, in 2014 was to say I have to find a way we have to find a way to gather more funding for uh, people who are going to work on the Cox system but not have the uh, insane situation where Everybody wants them to develop the Cox system, but they only evaluated on how good they do in terms of scientific visibility. And scientific visibility is not about providing a piece of software. It's about providing publications and things like that. So we have to find... Uh, it's not exactly true because INRIA, which is uh, the employer for most, uh, most of the people who are involved in development of Cox, Uh, accepts the idea that uh, a, a beautiful piece of software is actually uh, a huge scientific impact. So this is good, but but still, you know, if you want to to go to uh, industrial scale usability, then you need to have engineers. So this is this is the ideas I've been pushing for the last six years. You know, trying to make sure we hire the good engineers for this and we find funding for that and so uh, so i'm in contact with industrial part industrial users of coq trying to convince them that uh, as soon as they think it's a very useful tool for them maybe sometimes they should consider uh, either providing a, an unrestricted gift Uh, as they do for for research in universities, or taking uh, a membership in some sort of uh, an organization that we call a consortium, or uh, or uh, uh, we find uh, different solutions to to make sure that uh, uh, funding can be uh, channeled to uh, a structure that would be able to give. Uh, Uh, good uh, careers for people who are going to work exclusively on the development of the Cox system and making sure it be it gets to this uh, industrial scale usability. So one thing that is very clear for me throughout this our conversation is that you believe in Cox. Why is that? What makes you believe so much in the Cox system? Why do you think it's it's such a nice tool? I don't believe that much actually. <laughs> I, I, I have. To... I have doubts, you know, sometimes you, you get to a situation where I think it's a risky, it's a risky endeavor, but, but it's, it's really worth doing. You know, I think we have a very good basis and I believe in this basis. And then what I think is uh, there are a few, a few things that are risky and I want to see them I, I still want to try them because it's my job as a researcher to try risky things so what? where is the risk? So why do you believe in the foundation then? What's this foundation? So I, I believe in the foundation the foundation of Koch is good and it's not the only system who wants to work on this foundation type theory as a foundation is behind Agda behind Koch behind Lean 
And actually, Lean is very close to Coq uh, in terms of, uh, of the kind of type theory it uses. So this is good. Uh, the next thing is, and for this I've been influenced by a book that I read uh, five years ago by a journalist who's called, uh, oh, I don't, I'm afraid uh, I may not remember his name correctly. It's either Stephen Johnson or John Stevenson. Or, and the title of the book is Progress. And this guy was uh, studying... Uh, you know uh, what is happening nicely today in in the in, in the in the new society and he was saying at some point numbers trump competence that is if you manage to get many people working on a given endeavor on a given objective then this is going to be better than a tool that would be developed by a single genius and he, actually, this person was citing France at some places by saying France has a tradition of centralized uh, planning, and and because of that, it missed a few a few a few opportunities. And what happens with the Coq system right now is that the number of developers is 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 is, is big by comparison with other proof systems. So this is at the same time a strength in the time, in the sense that number is is uh, the, you know if if you have more people uh, trying to have good ideas about the system then there are more good ideas are going to be produced. This is the strength, and uh, the 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 weakness is if all these people don't pull in the same direction then you're going to go uh, to end up in a stalemate. So we have this risk, but I still think. You know, we have to try to collect all this goodwill together and see if we can make it go further. And I think all these guys are doing a good job of it. You know, the the organization of the development of the Cox system now is made in such a way that you don't feel an outsider anymore if your if your office is not in the right corridor. Yeah, you know, there's there's a there's a procedure for proposing Im improvements to the Cox system, to, for having these improvements being discussed, and then uh, you have pull request, and there's uh, you know there's there's a quality control that is organized on uh, on a community basis. There are there are even people who think that their main job is to make this work. More than producing new pieces of code for the Cox system, their main job is to make sure that the collective effort is productive. And I think this is great. They have, they have you know, Zuli, uh, which everyone is super active over there, Cock Club, there's yeah, the you, Discord you have, you have as well. You have Zulip, you have... Uh, you have uh, all the pull requests are being tested automatically in nightly builds. It's not nightly builds, it's automatically with uh, continuous integration. You know, the, the whole infrastructure is trying to absorb all the nice ideas for uh, large uh, open source development. So all this, I don't have any role in it. I'm just trying to make sure that the... the you know, uh, I go and knock at the doors of Inria or sometimes of other industrial partners and I say, uh, uh, can we add something? Because this is working well. Can we add some more energy into it? Some more funding, some more 
people. So this is this is my role right now. Uh, you know, I don't have a much better role than that. And I think if I was not doing it, it would not be too serious. I'm just trying to, I'm I'm, I'm just trying to to push up my my little stone uh, to the to the whole building. And but if I was not doing it, I think you know people would still see that it's a good job. It's a good uh, it's a good uh, project, and and maybe it would be a little slower. But it's it would still work. So this is this is why I believe in it. You know, I think sometimes you know open source development on a voluntary basis. There's all kind of ways in which it can it can have friction, and you know sometimes people get too 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 emotional about their own contribution and things like that. So you we need to iron a few things once in a while. But aside from that, the fact that it is a collective piece of work, this is quite exciting. How do you see Cock going into the future? Do you think it's still gonna getting bigger and bigger and getting more and more contribution from outside and getting even more use usage from the the bigger industry or the bigger or more academics using? How do you see Cock being going forth in the in the future? Because Cock has it's been around for quite a while, more than twenty years, almost thirty years now, right? Well, it's more than it's more than thirty actually, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you don't have the right uh, the right scale you know the the, the first paper about the calculus of constructions it was in uh, 1984 wow so yep. so you can you can you can put more than 30 in your in your sentence <laughs> 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 so there are a few things there are a few things that I would like to say about this you know cock itself uh, it's a bit like this Star Trek movie, you know. <laughs> where they, 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 they meet some uh, machine that's called Viger, which is trying to, to swallow all the universe. And so, Cock itself, it's more, it's, it's, it's an ecosystem. Uh, this ecosystem contains a few projects that are actually maintained as a different entity by uh, different groups of people. So, for example, you look at look at the work on uh, on floating point numbers. You have a library that is called Flock. the The fact that Flock works or doesn't work is uh, ma- mainly the job of a subgroup, which is uh, which has a, a, a non-empty intersection with the Cog developers. But in some way, it's a different project. And now, if you look at uh, at Comcert. Concert is is a huge a huge asset in the in terms of the success of the Coq system. You know, people are going to go and use Coq because they want to use Concert, and and sometimes they don't want to use Concert. They only want to use part of Concert. You know, Concert is a, is a mine of of information for people interested in semantics of programming language, especially for C-like languages, or or for the C language itself. Okay. So, but Comcert itself, it's a project by a by by a person uh, who, who is going to probably attract more people around them. But it's 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 a project in its own. So this is what my my film, what I see in the future is more like a, a galaxy system. You know, it's a you know, Cock itself will survive it if it can get. In a situation where it doesn't have to take care of all the planets around, uh, or all the stars around, actually, if you go and look at uh, all the effort around Iris, this is this is fantastic. 
But the Iris developers, they, they have conversations, very, very good at positive conversations with the COG developers, but they understand each other as being two separate groups. Okay, so this is what I think. The COG system should somehow try to stay on the small side, and this is what they do. Well, actually, maybe uh, you should not view this as my opinion. It's what I, I see when I, when, I, when I look at them working. You know. For example, at some point, we, we, uh, we had a, a, big, a beautiful result in 2004 about people who were able to check that numbers with uh, 10,000 digits uh, were prime. So you were able to do all this computation inside the COG system. To do that, there, there, there was a, a library of big numbers that had been added to the, to the COG system. And if, even though you were using uh, pure functional programming on these big numbers, there was a way uh, to make it uh, be fast enough that you would be able to work on uh, fast enough uh, uh, and, and uh, use uh, tree-like structures for big numbers uh, that, that make it possible to do all this computation. Well, this big num uh, library is something that the COG developers maintain for a long time, and now it's not, you know, there's this effort to make sure that it's not the responsibility of the COG developers anymore. Some other people can be invited on just taking care of that. So this is, you know, this, this effort about the COG community site is exactly this, you know. The COG system somehow should not collapse under the weight of all these things. The developers have to to stay on. Just at some point, if you uh, you you add something to the COG system and you say, well, it's in there, and uh, but then you th th then at some point you you provide a name to the thing and you remove it from the COG system, and you say it's still part of the ecosystem, but you want to attract a wider community to maintain this. This is what COG community is doing. So this is, you know, the COG system should should still be only the programming language. So there are things that are part considered part of the COG system standard library right now, and which in the future are going to be removed. I think uh, the the description of the real numbers is going to to go that way. For mm. So trying to get a standard library as small as possible and having just the core of COG to take care of everything, right? I'm not completely sure. Well, for the standard library, uh, I don't know what exactly it should contain, but there's a discussion about it. This is currently something that people want to discuss. Because if you look at it seriously, uh, a lot of people are dissatisfied with the current state of the standard library, and so you have a proliferation of standard libraries. You, know, you have STDPP, you have... Uh, it's normal. I think at some point we need to stabilize a standard library that everybody agrees on. But right now, uh, the, fa the fact that it was uh, part of the COG system, but the COG developers really don't have time to look at it uh, enough. Uh, so it's, 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 you know, the expression it, it could it could it, it could do with some more love. And I think if it was removed from the from the responsibility of the COG developers, then it, th this could happen. You know, you want to organize a, a better discussion around this. And uh, right now, the, the solution is uh, people who are dissatisfied they just go and develop their own side uh, library. So, you know, the MathComp library, for example, looks like that. It's uh, it's, it's an alternative to the to the standard library. 
That is that is very nice, actually. It's a very good idea because yeah, cock, cock is is already a little beast. Is has a lot of it's it's pretty big. Feels pretty big already. So it's still a problem, you know. It's it's another issue. I think it's still a problem that there would be proliferation of libraries for variety of topics. This is a problem because when a newcomer comes, sometimes they will just choose uh, to work with a library that is not maintained. Because because the uh, at the time they read for the documentation, they, it looks like it is the best one. But but in fact there is a wrong reason. So this is something for which we you know we still need to understand how to do that well. Make sure that people are actually guided to the place where they are going to receive the most help. Yes, that's definitely as you said at the beginning. Putting you know industry level effort into the developing part, right? Like making sure that we get engineering correct and how all of these moving parts go together. So the, yeah. the, I had another uh, metaphor that I was using. You know, well, it's not exactly a metaphor. It was a, more like a correspondence. You know, if you look at the success of the Java programming language, Java was a big success at Huge some point. Success. You know, yes. Everybody was going to to work with Java. I think the success of Java was in part, but only in small part, due to the fact that it was portable. And uh, that, so that was the Java virtual machine. And in a huge part, it were, the success came from the fact that it had a very beautiful library in which you could find everything you wanted to do. And I think this is what one of the things we have to be careful for the Coq system. We have to make sure we obtain, we get to a situation where the library is a huge asset for the Coq system. It's already somehow the case, you know, if you think about the concert the concert uh, effort or the iris effort a lot of people who want to do research on you know that like uh, Tage Chahed was was uh, telling me one day you know all the good things he was thinking about the iris tool and because he wants to do his research in systems and having a tool like iris makes it possible so this, we, we, we have to make sure that all these things exist and if you look at the success of Isabel, it's 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 similar. The success of Isabel comes from the fact they that they have a huge uh, library and that's you, very well archived. You have a beautiful library of of, of results that are maintained, and uh, this is, this is a, so. This is something that should happen in the Coq system, and but uh, the idea of uh, of the Coq development team of uh, Theo Zimmerman, I think of him, for example. Uh, that uh, we should organize the community, help the, the community, the ecosystem, uh, all the users help. We should help them to organize themselves in such a way that, uh, that, that, that the library can improve by a collective effort. That this, is, this is where we should be going. I hate to interrupt you here, but we are more than one hour in, yeah, I know. so we should wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No. So I actually have one thing that I would like to bring up. In the middle of the conversation, we mentioned that it's it would be very important for industry partners that are interested, you know, to raise interest around the cock and to become some sort of partner or to donate some sort of money. What are where they can find more information about that? Who should they contact if someone of them are happening to be listening to this episode? You should contact me. 
So just send you an email. Hey, I want to be part. You know, like I want to contribute yeah. somehow. Yeah. What should the, I do? The, the two person who are really uh, on the front for this is me, are me and Maxime Denes. So there you go. If you want to contribute to the Cock community and make sure that Cock is being receiving the love it needs. It needs money, it needs people. So please contact Yves well, Berto. The, 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 point, the point I have on, on this is that at some point, some people are in industries are going to use Cock in such a way that it becomes crucial for their competitiveness that Cock continues to exist. If that's the case, then you have to, you know, you're not paying uh, a license because it's open source, but somehow there is a cost in it, and uh, the, the the failure of existence of this open source community would be a huge cost for the company. So if if you get to this point, then at this at this time, you should really think that uh, it's your responsibility to make sure that this open source software. Uh, continues to exist. Huge responsibility. So, of course, it's it's a it's a responsibility that you're going to share with all the all all the stakeholders. So you should participate in it. This, I think it's the same way that that uh, Linux gets support or Apache gets support. You know, it's for the same reason. People discover that that it's it's in their interest that this software exists. So there you go. If if you want to make sure it will continue existing, please make sure to donate and contribute somehow. Eve, thank you so much for being my guest today. It was an amazing conversation. We went through so much. We learned uh, so much. You are an amazing I person. Think I, I think I will be ashamed of hearing more about uh, this interview, but <laughs> I, 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 I spoke way too much about myself. <laughs> you are too humble, Eve. I, I invite people here. The main reason why I want to make this show is to make to make our community more personal, make it feel yeah. like we are people. You know, like we're not just not we're not just paper, not just ideas. There are people around behind us, right? So thank you so much for being part of it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It is always nice to have a good historical perspective of where things came from and how we got where we are. I think Eve did a great job on giving a detailed explanation on the motivation behind Cockart, how the Cock community has been working around the two, and how an outsider can contribute to the project. He also does a great job on giving proper credit where it is due. It was a great conversation. You can find all the papers mentioned in this episode in the description. I've also left his contact information over there. Questions and comments are always welcome in our website www.typetheoryforall.com If you like this episode, make sure to share with a friend. I am confident they will love you for it. And I will see you guys in the next time. <laughs>